City Church in Over the Rhine is cultivating the kind of family Jesus introduced to the world in the city of Cincinnati. We're glad you're choosing to listen to a sermon from our weekly service. We would love to meet you. Visit us on Instagram or at citychurchotr.com. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. I'm so glad to be here with you all. I did bring some props, which I'll explain in a minute. I know this looks kind of funny. Um, but I, uh, I was telling Chris before the service, I have such affection for this church. I feel like I'm always talking about you guys uh, when I'm out and about telling people about the kinds of things that you're doing here and the way in which it's encouraging to me. This is how I think church should go down, where this hour is probably the least important hour of the week in terms of church body life, that the most important kinds of um, faith experiences we have are the ones you have in your other front door, right? The ones you have down there in the living room, the ones you have in each other's homes. Um, I just I just so value and honor the model here. So it's my joy to be here with you all. Um, I just got back from uh, Israel, and every time I come back, I say something along the lines of, I've got steel in my spine. Like, I have this sense that the story that we're living out here today in Cincinnati in 2023 is part of a really old and long story. And that's where I want to anchor us today in this idea of this old story that has a, a pattern we can begin to recognize. And the, the reason to look for that pattern is so that when we find it happening in March of 2023, we don't ask ourselves, how did we get here? Or what do we do now? There is, a, there is an old story. And so I brought some props mainly just because I want us to remember five stages of every biblical story. And I just thought props might help us remember them. If, if nothing else, later on the way home, you can make fun of them. But it hopefully, yeah. the first, the first um, phase of any story is that there's chaos. And uh, even back to the creation story, in the very beginning, there was chaos. And biblically, chaos is often represented by water. And we'll go through a couple of biblical stories that have water, and we'll show how that water uh, represents the abyss. Of course, the beginning of our Bibles in Genesis, you have chaos on the waters. And at the end of our Bibles in Revelation, there'll be a great sea that our enemy goes into, uh, that water represents the abyss. So um, this is what, my, when I talk about the chaos part of whatever story I'm talking about, I'm going to hold up my water bottle. This represents, water represents chaos. The next thing that happens in the biblical stories are in the presence of chaos, whatever, I mean, this is true in 2023, like no matter where we find or sense that chaos, God's spirit is hovering. And I was trying to think like, what prop do I have at my house that represents God's spirit? <clears throat> the word for spirit in Hebrew is ruah. The word for wind in Hebrew is ruah. So I brought a fan. That's like, this is about as best as I could do. I, <clears throat> we'll be talking about the chaotic stories that are happening biblically and today, and the fact that God's presence is hovering over that chaos. He's not oblivious to it. He's not, he's not ignoring it. He is present, and it is our job in the midst of those stories to be looking for the activity of the Spirit. And the next thing that happens in biblical stories after the Spirit is hovering is that God speaks. So I brought my Bible, like, that represent God speaks. And, and sometimes in biblical stories, he'll literally speak out. Um, sometimes today, this morning, we were praying as the worship team and some of the other uh, church volunteers. We were praying, asking each other, 
What did you hear God say to you this week? God, God didn't, he's not stuck only having spoken inside of these words all the way back then. He's speaking to us today. He's speaking to us through our spirit. He spoke to us just now in worship. He speaks to us when we study his word. God speaks. And after we hear God's word, what happens in every biblical story is that shalom or peace breaks out. So I was looking around my house like, what do I have that represents shalom? I didn't, I didn't have like a little dove or anything that I could bring here. So um, I brought a palm branch slash this is what's flowering in my front yard right now. We have chaos and God's presence hovers over the chaos and then God speaks. And in the aftermath of God speaking, shalom breaks out. And there's unbelievable things that happen, both biblically and today, when, when we experience God's peace, people are healed, relationships are restored, prodigals return, uh, clarity is given, conviction is felt, challenge is accepted, invitation is issued, like good things happen in God's peace. But what we can count on every single time without exception is in the midst of God's presence, in the midst of his peace that he gives us. There will always be a form of temptation. And I, of course, represented temptation with an apple because of the very first story we'll talk about in the book of Genesis during creation. <clears throat> if we bite the apple or someone bites the apple and we feel the consequences of their choices, we'll go back to the beginning of the story and chaos will ensue. If we resist this temptation, we will continue to experience this peace. And this is the pattern we'll see over and over again. Let's just start with the book of Genesis, and we'll start with um, creation. So creation, everything is broken, and it's symbolized by water. This is like the very first lines of our Bible books. And then it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, The earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the waters. And then the Spirit speaks. And what is, what is he saying in creation? He says, like, let there be light and day and all these kinds of beautiful animals and all the things of creation and man and woman. It's, and, and in the aftermath of God speaking and, and speaking into creation, we know that everything came out magnificently. And it says in verse 31 of Genesis chapter 1, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. That's the promise we have of creation. It is good. And there was unbelievable shalom. And shalom in Hebrew has this really long definition, but really the part that I always like the best about that definition is that shalom covers in our cracks. It fills in our cracks. So I don't know if anybody walked in here this morning with any kind of cracks going on in their, in their world, in their heart, in their mind, but God's peace, his promise to us as his kids is that we can have those cracks filled in. And Adam and Eve experienced that perfect peace, that wholeness and fullness of fellowship with God for like a hot second until those people ate the apple. And as soon as they ate the apple, the world returned back here into chaos. And the next biblical story that we read is the story of Noah. And you know the story of Noah, right? The world was in such incredible chaos that God decided to flood the entire thing. This is in Genesis chapter 6. And, and he called Noah to build that ark. And he told him to bring all of his family and two of every kind of animal onto that ark. And the chaos of the waters washed over the earth. And then Noah and his family knew it was time to come out of the ark. That it was time for them to enter into this new creation God was doing because the Spirit came. And in, the, in that Noah story, the, the Spirit came in the form of a dove. It says in 
um, in Genesis 7 that he came as dove. I also think the spirit came in the form of the ruah or the wind that dried up the earth. But irregardless, they knew it is the chaos is over, the spirit is hovering, and now we can come out. And God spoke to them, right? It says in Genesis chapter 8, God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wives and your sons and their wives, bring out every kind of creature that is with you, the birds and the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number in it. God spoke. And so we know what's going to happen next. If God speaks, shalom is going to break out. And they all came out of the ark and they began to recreate that creation story and they were fruitful and multiplied and it was amazing. And they had this new earth and they had these unbelievable animals and it would have been incredible. And then what happens, we know that what's going to happen next is temptation is going to come and it's exactly what happened. Noah got drunk in his tent, did all kinds of shenanigans he was not supposed to do. And then the result of somebody biting an apple is the world returned again into chaos. If he had resisted temptation, who knows what that story would have looked like. But he fell to temptation, and we go back. And the next biblical story we read after the book of Genesis is the book of Exodus, and that is the story of Moses. And by the time we get to the beginning of Moses, beginning of Moses, the beginning of Exodus, there is chaos in the earth so terribly that God's kids, his babies, are being thrown into the river, tossed aside, given up on. Crazy. You have the, the chaos of that Nile River and those babies being thrown into it. You have God's intervention in that story and Moses being taken out of the basket and adopted into Pharaoh's family. And that whole story of Moses culminating in God deciding to choose that very young adopted man to be the one that would lead his kids who were in slavery at that time into freedom. And we have the story of the plagues in that book of Exodus where God's getting the attention of Pharaoh getting the attention of the nation of Egypt and getting the attention of his own kids to say, hey, hey follow me, we're going to go someplace else. It's called the promised land. And you see the spirit in all of the, the presence of those plagues. And then finally, after the last plague, the death of the firstborn son, God tells Moses to go down to the edge of the Red Sea. Well, what does the sea stand for? We know what the sea is. The sea is abyss. It's stopping them from where they have at their back slavery and where they have ahead of them, which is freedom. And God's spirit comes, his ruler comes, he tells Moses to raise his right arm, and that whole ocean splits in half. That's what happens when the spirit of God hovers over the chaos. Nothing to worry about. And God speaks, right? He leads them into that promise, that, that, that land that they were going into, freedom away from slavery. God speaks, and Shalom broke out. Right, Shalom broke out. We have something in Exodus chapter 15 called Miriam's Song where they were dancing and getting all their cracks filled in and they were feeling like this is unbelievable. Is this what freedom feels like? I've literally never even tasted it. This is unbelievable. And Moses goes on top of a mountain to get what we're going to call later the Ten Commandments. God's speaking to them. And Shalom should be the next result. But while he was up there talking to Moses, those people were at the bottom of that mountain making all their jewelry into golden calves. Biting this apple. As a result of biting the apple, what's going to happen? It happens literally every single time. We don't have to worry. We know exactly what happens. When you fall to temptation, chaos ensues. And they'll have 40 years of it. 40 years of their apple biting, temptation falling, missing out on what God had for them. The next story, Moses had someone in his life uh, 
named Joshua, who followed him around everywhere. I love the story of Joshua because Moses set him such a great mentor example, took him into something called the tent of the meeting, where they got a chance to talk face-to-face with God like one with a friend. Joshua absolutely witnessed what happens when you look for the Spirit and you listen for God's Word and you anticipate His peace. He watched that happen in Moses' life as Moses kept leading God's kids into that pattern, wanting them to experience the full presence and the Spirit of God. And so now we have the story of, of Joshua recorded in the book of Joshua. And there's a flooded Jordan River. It says after Moses died, God, the Lord led them to a swollen Jordan River. Joshua chapter 3, verse 15. It's at flood stage all during the harvest. So if, there, if, you, have a, if you have a swollen river, you know what that is a symbol of, right? The, the barrier between where they had been to where God was calling them to go. And so if you see chaos, you, the very next thing, instead of like throwing up our hands, like, what are we going to do now? The, the river's swollen. You told us to go here, but we can't because there's water in our way. There's something stopping what you have for us. I can't do it. Instead of getting swept up in the chaos, discouraged by the chaos, stopped by the chaos, God's been teaching his kids now at this point for several books. Here's exactly what you got to do. Look for my spirit. Look for my spirit. They were carrying his spirit literally in something called the Ark of the Covenant. And God spoke to them. And he said these words in the verse 13 of chapter 3. He said, as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord of all the earth, as soon as those guys set foot in the Jordan River where God called them to go, the waters flowing downstream were, were cut off and stood up in a heap. And so, I mean, you got chaos and then the spirit of the Lord and then God told them what to do and then they do it. And so what happens when you do what God tells you to do? Shalom breaks out. And, I mean, what would that have been like to watch the waters stand up like a heap? They would have said, like, I've heard this story before. This happened to our ancestors. We've been hearing the story about the Red Sea and the parting of the Red Sea and the walking across it on dry ground for a long time. Can you believe it? He's doing it for us. What's going to happen now? Is there going to be a new season for us the way there was a new season for them? What's going to happen? Cracks are filled in. It's going to be amazing. But then you know what those people did? They got across that river, they went and conquered Jericho, and they took for themselves the plunder that God said to bring back for him. They kept for themselves what God had gave them, spent it on their own comfort and convenience. They bit the apple. So we know exactly what happens when we fall to temptation. Chaos resumes in the story. And we could honestly do this, I mean, this could be like an Old Testament survey class. We could do this all morning, right? But I want you to fast forward with me into the story um, of the baptism of Jesus. So Jesus is getting ready to start his ministry. There was no chaos in him, right? But he, he comes to that Jordan River. I'm sure he was thinking to himself, I know all kinds of things that have happened in this Jordan River. And Jesus, who was without sin, entered into those waters. He who was without chaos went into the chaos. And we know what, to, what happens when we sense the waters, we start looking for his spirit. That's what you do when you see that chaos. And the spirit comes in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, which I always remember because it's like John 3, 16, right? Matthew 3, 16, it says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water and the heavens were open and the spirit of God began to descend like a dove and it rested on him. And there he was, the spirit of God, hovering over the chaos of the waters 
and his son who was without sin. And if the spirit of God is hovering, then we know what to do next. We've got to be listening for what he's going to say. And, Jesus, and God says in verse 17, this is my son in whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. And so what happens after God speaks? Well, shalom breaks out. That's exactly what happened as Jesus came out of the water, right? Deaf people hear, blind people see, dead people get raised again. This is the ministry that Jesus brings on earth. It's unbelievable. And then the very next thing that's going to happen, we know what's going to happen. This is, this is an old story. If there's been chaos and the spirit hovered and God spoke and shalom broke out, the next thing that's going to happen is temptation has come in his way. But this time, Jesus did not bite the apple. And now the binding of the evil one began. This, when Jesus got baptized, he wasn't, I mean, we say oftentimes he was demonstrating or setting an example for us about how we can have an outward expression about our inward faith life. And for sure, we can see it as that. He was baptized, therefore, we can be baptized. But I think this was a training moment for those disciples. I think he was saying, hey, guess what? We're water enterers. When we see chaos, we go into it. We don't run away from it. We're not afraid for it. And what do you do when you get on the camp? You start looking for my spirit. You listen for my voice. And you experience my peace. And there's nothing you need to do to be afraid of that. Get into the waters. And one of the people I know that I watched with my own eyes who was a fabulous water enterer. And I was thinking about him when I was preparing this message because I think he would have fit in just fine in this church. He came from a church much like this that was trying to set itself up as a church that listened to God's voice and that invited people into its fellowship and that was unafraid of the chaos that was going on around it. And so if I haven't met you yet, I spent 15 years living as a missionary in Mexico. I moved there in 1997, and the story I'm going to tell you happened in 2011. So at that point, I'd already been there a long time. Like, I now know that like you kick a soccer, uh, kick a football, you don't throw it. I, I know that you know salsa comes in two different colors. I, I like know all the things. Like I, I felt practically Mexican at this point. I've been there 14 years, right, or more, more, yeah, 14 years at that point. And in 2011, the city I was living in is a city called Monterey, about six million people. <clears throat> and th that particular year, there was a cartel war going on in our city, and it was the fiercest that we had ever experienced. We had 1,872 deaths that year associated with the drug war. And it was so dark in the city that year that, I mean, forever, I mean, like since Mexico was a country, they've been playing soccer at night, men and women do, after their work shifts. And they stopped all nighttime soccer leagues. And most taco trucks don't even open up until 9 p.m. And all the taco trucks were closed. So you know when you're not eating tacos and you're not playing soccer, like the city is in trouble, right? This is a big deal. And in the, in the summer of 2011, when all of that was really at its height, a friend of mine who's a pastor of a church there in, uh, in that community, he woke up and he had had a dream. And sometimes God speaks to us in dreams. And he said to him in this dream, he gave him this vision and he was praying over some police officers in the city. And hear me that I am a huge fan of law enforcement. All over the world, I'm a huge fan of law enforcement. But at this particular season, at this particular city, at this time, some of those law enforcement officers were being controlled by that cartel war and they weren't always, they didn't always feel trustworthy. So when he told his wife, hey, I had to do this vision, I was like praying over a bunch of police officers. She's like, I don't even know if we know any police officers. And he's like, no, I, I think God has something for me in it. And he was starting to try to 
to make it happen. Like he was, he was at a restaurant one time and he saw some officers eating a meal and so he offered to pick up, well, he told the waitress, I'd like to pick up their check and they came storming over because they thought maybe he was trying to bribe them for something. You know, he's like, no, I just wanted to meet you, never mind. Like he was trying to make it happen. It just wasn't, you know, it wasn't coming together. One Sunday morning he was preaching and an elder came up and passed him a note and said the building is surrounded uh, right now by police officers and so just keep everybody inside and safe maybe just like repeat your last three points again and you don't have to tell many pastors they get to go you know longer and more so he was happy to continue preaching and that was pretty commonplace you could be at the grocery store at the movie theater at the mall there one of those assassinations would happen somewhere outside in the road and everybody would go on lockdown until they could figure out who was involved and clean up what they needed to, and then they would release people. And so the, the, my pastor friend thought to himself, well, there must have been some kind of incident outside, so I'll just keep the congregation inside and safe. I'll preach at them again and still more, and then when it gets cleaned up, I'm sure someone will alert me. And so he did something we're not going to do here this morning, but he said, he said out to the crowd, hey, is there anyone here that's here for the very first time? I'd like you to come forward so I can pray a prayer of blessing on you. And 11 people walked forward. And he was just praying over their heads. Some other people were praying with him. And he got to the eighth head in the row. And he felt like the Lord told him that, that God had spared this person's life. And he had spared him for the season he was walking into. So he just whispered that in his ear. The Lord has spared your life. During that process, the elder came back up and gave him a note and said, hey, just kidding. There's not been an incident. You're welcome to release people. It turns out the new chief of police is in the congregation today. It's actually his security detail outside. And so my pastor friend, Salatiel, was like, well, I'm sure it's a guy I just told that word to. So he went up afterwards and was like, hey, I would like, like to meet you because of his vision. I was praying over officers. And so if you're the police chief, like, could I come to your station and can I pray over your people? And the guy was like, well, I, I mean, I just moved. You probably know the, the police chief was murdered last week. I just got here from Cancun and I've only met a few of the people, but I haven't met anybody that I think would be interested in you come to pray over them. And he's like, let's just go to coffee and talk about it. So Monterey is a city, again, if you're familiar at all with Chicago, there's like a proper, and then there's all those major subdivisions that kind of make up Chicago land. That's how Monterey is. And so this church was in one of those kind of sub-communities of the larger city, an area called Guadalupe, and there's about a million people censused in this community. So this police officer was the chief of the Guadalupe police station. And finally, my friend convinces him, uh, and he says, hey, listen, why don't you come on Saturday morning at 7 o'clock in the morning? We have a, a, a shift, a time in roll call where we, we switch from the night shift to the day shift, and everybody's there. I'll just give you five minutes. Like, do what you got to do. So Salatiel goes to the station on Saturday, and he gets his five minutes, and he, like, just goes over the basics of the gospel, and he tells all these people who are standing at attention, like, who Jesus is and how he feels about them. And when it was all over, nobody responded or raised their hands or talked to him afterwards or really actually any kind of response. But um, when I talked to him after that, he was so excited. And I said, what, you, what, what, what made you so excited if it didn't go that well? He's like, because when you do exactly what God asks you to do, there's joy in it. And so he said to the uh, police chief, can I come back next Saturday? And he was like, because it went so well. I mean, like, I, you know. <laughs> he eventually talked that officer into to, um, being able to go once a month on Saturdays for or five minutes, and he just started to build on the gospel stories. Well, a few months later, now it's into October, when Salatel was preparing for his time, he felt like the Lord said to him, you should, bring, uh, you should bring a worship leader with you. And he said to me later, I was thinking to myself, one, these people don't know our songs, and secondly, they don't even ever sing in unison. Like, like what are we doing this for? 
but he shared part of his five minutes with a guitar player from his church who came and just sang a simple chorus over them before he went on and shared a few more minutes of biblical truth. That happened October, November, December. Now we're in January of 2012. And on one of those Saturday mornings, while the worship leader was leading a simple chorus in front of them, one of the sergeants who was standing at attention fell over. Now, this is a room full of first responders, right? So these people like went charging over to him because they thought he had had a heart attack. But the pastor and that police chief knew in that moment that that man had been overwhelmed in the spirit, whatever that means. He just had become overcome. So the police chief afterwards said to Saltel, well, hey, guess what? Maybe there's something going on, even though they don't know how to talk about it. Maybe there's like something going on with them. And maybe, maybe we just need to teach them some leadership skills so they have the courage to ask questions or raise their hand or speak out. Here's what I want you to do. February, Next month, I'd like you to come every single day. I'll give you time every day at roll call. And let's do, a, let's do a leadership course on the biblical character of David, King David. And we'll talk about how he was in battle and how he was a leader. And he's like, I think we just need to, we need to exercise your leadership muscles. And so Sal's like, every day, okay. So he came every day of February 2012. And during that month, there was a wide reporting in our, um, in our newspaper in the city. Because now, at this point, it was a cr national crisis, what was happening. And the National Guard had been called in to help reinforce some of this peacekeeping efforts in the city and to keep people safe. And, and we were losing around 28 officers' lives every month in this war as they were putting themselves between regular civilians and these cartels, this organized crime. And at the end of, of February 2012, on the 28th day, they were handing out certificates to the officers for having participated in a mandatory way in this leadership course on King David. And the police chief made an announcement that everybody already knew in the room. He said, hey, this month, not a single officer's life was lost. And so it wasn't like all those people were ready to get into you know, Bible study groups. But they were like, whatever good like, juju you are bringing to the house, you can bring it every day. Like, I want, you've been here every day, we're gonna keep this up. We're, we gotta keep doing this every day. What, whoever you pray and worship, he needs to protect us. And so if he was here today, he would tell you that all of the story that happened that I'm about to tell you started on March 1st, the first day after that month. He called some of his pastor friends together and he said, hey, this is what's been happening since last summer for me in the, in the police station and I can't keep up the pace because I got my own church to take care of. And so I, I brought a calendar and I want us to pass it around. We'll just take turns. We'll take turns every day going there and I, you just get five minutes. I want you to share some kind of biblical truth and pray over them. And I don't want you to invite them to your church. We're going to bring church to them. This is what this is about. And the pastors all divvied up different days through March and April and May and June. There was this reporting in our paper that the Guadalupe police force was having unprecedented victory. They had more arrests than the Monterey proper uh, police force did, and it was kind of embarrassing to other people. By the, summer, by the end of the summer of 2012, things had calmed down quite a bit, and we were playing soccer at night again and eating our tacos after 10, and the city was, was feeling more like it had always felt before this year of crisis. And so in the fall of 2012, Guadalupe elected a new mayor, and that mayor asked for some of this community task force to come into his office, so Salatiel was there and the police chief and a couple of other pastors, faith leaders. And the mayor's like, hey, guess what? Like, I, I, I got one of my first political acts is I've got to give the keys of the city to somebody. 
And I, I know you all are tremendously responsible for some of the things that have been happening in our city over the last year. I just don't know which one of you to pick. I'd rather you all talk amongst yourselves and find a representative, but I want to represent the work you've been doing in front of our city. So would you pick who among you is responsible for what's been going on in Guadalupe? And Salatiel goes, you'd like us to tell you who's responsible for what's been happening in Guadalupe? Um, that, that person is Jesus Christ. And the mayor is like, you'd like my first political act to be that I'm going to give the keys of the city to Jesus Christ? You know, like, and uh, they said, yeah, if you want to give it to who's responsible for. So in case you thought I was making this all up, I brought a, a video for you of what happened when that mayor gave the keys of the city over to Jesus Christ. Es por eso que hoy yo, César Garza Villarreal, presidente municipal de Ciudad Guadalupe, entrego la ciudad de Guadalupe, Nuevo León, a nuestro Señor Jesucristo. The city of Guadalupe went crazy. And here's what happens at these political events. In the front row are the other dignitaries from the other municipalities. It's like the mayor of Santiago is there and the mayor of Garza Garcia is there. And they're watching the city of Guadalupe go crazy for Jesus Christ. And they're like, hey, my key thing is next week. I'm giving my keys to Jesus Christ. Like, <laughs> and so by the end of 2012, all these municipalities had been starting to have these ceremonies where they were giving the keys of their city and dedicating it to Jesus Christ. Now we get into January of 2013, and I was talking to Saltiel, and there was one municipality that had never had any involvement in any of the citywide revival that was really happening, and that was the Monterey City proper. But the police chief called him one day and said, I will give you five minutes Saturday morning at our roll call. So in January, he went, and there were 1,400 men and women who stood at attention while he just went through the basics of the gospel, and afterwards, I'm like, how'd it go? And he's like... Well, nobody talked to me afterward. Nobody raised their hand or responded. And I said, are you discouraged? And he said, no, I'm going to like wait two months. I'm bringing a guitar player. And uh, <laughs> in July of 2013, the mayor of Monterey stood on the steps of our Capitol building in front of a nationally televised audience, read a chapter out of the book of Isaiah, and dedicated the whole entire city over into the hands of Jesus Christ. And not everybody understood what they were watching. Our headlines the next day said, if you turned on your water and it tastes like wine, you can thank the mayor. <laughs> <clears throat> but here's what I can personally front row testify to you. This was not a campaign. This was not like a bunch of people who are really fancy trying to figure out how they can reach their city that was in shambles. Uh, for Jesus Christ. This was a couple people who decided they were going to pray and go right into the most chaotic part of our waters and they were going to look for his spirits and they were going to let him talk and they were going to anticipate his peace and they were going to resist temptation to take credit for themselves. They're going to re resist temptation to, to do all the things that we do when God starts to move and we get scared and want to try to control it. Like, this is an example. And when I think about what is possible when a gathering, a faith community like this gathers right here in the heart of our city, what, what, what's our call? We're, our call is to be faithful and to pray. That's it. That is what we are supposed to do. And to test, to, to, to say to each other, this is what I hear the Spirit saying. To say to each other, this, this is how I'm going to obey what he's told me to do. This is, what, this is what it feels like to be in Shalom and to get my, my cracks filled in. And, and this is what I'm going to do to resist temptation. This morning we woke up, right, to, 
attacks in Syria. We woke up to family members in the news killing each other. We woke up to sad stories about children and guns and elementary schools. Like, th this is the chaos. Sometimes God's kids sit around and go, I mean, how do we get as far away from all that craziness as possible? I don't want any of that chaos to come on me or my people. How do I separate myself from that chaos? That is not what Jesus teaches us. He went into the water. He's a water enterer. He's a chaos goer to her. I don't think that's a word, but that's what he does, right? He is not afraid of the chaos because he knows who's there with him, right? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that is our call. Okay, one little PS um, before we welcome and worship. So um, my family has been built in lots of different ways. We, we have biological children, we have foster children, we have adoptive children, and there's one person that we brought into our family um, who is in that count, although she was older than I am. We adopted like a Mexican grandma. I don't know how to describe her. She, she was born as an orphan. Uh, by four, she was a child uh, slave. By uh, 11, she was a child bride. Um, not too many years after that, she became a widow. She really checked all the boxes. And by the time uh, I interacted with her, she needed our family as much as we needed her. So she lived with us for almost 20 years, um, she, get, she functioned like a grandma. I'd say to my children, you pick up your own toys, and I'd turn around, and she's picking up their toys, and I'd say, you have had enough to eat, and she's slipping them quesadillas. Like, this is how she functioned in our family. And uh, so it was difficult when we left the mission field and came back here to Cincinnati to live, like, what was going to happen to her? She didn't have the right paperwork to be here with us year-round. She only had the kind of visa that allowed her to be here six months of the year. So... Six months she would live there in Mexico, and six months she'd live here in Cincinnati with us. And the year of the pandemic, I called her on Mother's Day because I was thinking to myself, uh, well, I was calling her on Mother's Day. She was living there in Mexico. And when I got a hold of her, she was sick. And I thought, I thought that was kind of strange. And I asked her, um, I, I said to her, like, I know you're not supposed to come here till the fall, but why don't you come earlier? I don't like the way you sound, and I feel like I want to have someone here take a look at you. So we brought her to Cincinnati, and it turns out, she was very sick. She was diagnosed eventually at the UC hospital here with a disease called valley fever, which is a lung condition. And she would go in and out of the hospital getting treatments, and she kind of endeared herself to that hospital staff. Um, people were, couldn't figure out our family relationship. Like, is she your mother? Is she your child? You know, like, and she didn't speak any English, but um, she, uh, she figured out how to say, God bless you. So she would like, God bless you, take my blood. God bless you for my face. God bless you. <laughs> And uh, she endeared herself to the chief of staff there at the UC hospital system. And one night he calls me. And he said, hey, Beth, um, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but uh, I, we've been fighting so hard. And I, I, we're losing. And I don't know when it will happen exactly, but she's going to die of this disease. We can't get it turned around. So that night uh, I told her that, and I said, she, she was illiterate. All of her theology came through her earbuds. You know, she listened to pastors on YouTube and worship music and um, her audio Bible, and this is where she got her, all of her songs and, and theology. And I said to her, I know how you love to worship, and it sounds like you're going to be singing on Streets of Gold sooner than we were planning on. And she just closed her eyes and quoted to me this verse about how everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then... Uh, the next day when she woke up at the hospital, they asked her a couple of questions to test her uh, mental fitness. That's what they do to make sure you can make your own decisions. And she, uh, 
they said, you know, what year is it, and what's my name, and what's your name, and she could do all that. The following day, she struggled a little bit with answering those questions, and then on Friday of that week, when they asked her what my name is, she, she couldn't come up with it. And they asked her what her name was, she didn't have an answer for it. And the nurse just looked over at me and said, it won't be much longer. And I don't know if you've been with somebody in a thin place like that, but it's a, it's a pretty thin place. And uh, um, I didn't know quite what to do. So she's four foot ten. So I curled up at the bottom of her hospital bed because there's plenty of room down there. And uh, my husband was with me, and I just started to sing to her a worship song that is, we don't have it in English. It's like a, it's kind of like Amazing Grace in Spanish. It's called Sumer Hame, and I knew it had been an anthem for her in her life about God being with her. And I just started to sing Sumer Hame to her. I wasn't even sure she could hear me, but I knew even if it wasn't comforting her, it was comforting me. And I'm just laying back down there singing Sumer Hame. And I got to the chorus, and she sang every single word with me. And I looked over at Todd, and I said, where does worship go inside of us? That when we don't even remember our own name, we don't forget his? And later that day, she went home to be with Jesus. And I was thinking to myself, what I wanted to leave with you all today is this, this little P.S. about water entering. Um, every time I've ever walked into the water, it has cost me something. Right? It, when we go into chaos on behalf of Jesus' name, it costs you gray hair, sleepless nights, your reputation, money, time, like it costs us something. And the word to love, which is what the city needs more of, is a little bit of love. The word love in Hebrew is the word ahava. And the reason it's such an interesting word to study is because the root word of ahava is ahav. So the word is a-v-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-
to love and give and love and give to? Whose water are you supposed to enter? Where, instead of separating, are you to engage? Trusting the Spirit is hovering over you. Trusting that God will speak to you. Trusting that shalom is the inevitability of God's bringing, kids bringing God's light and God's word to God's, to God's kingdom. This is what happens. Okay, ready? Here we go. Keep your eyes closed after you finish your hava and I'll close this in prayer. But I'll count to three. It's only worth if you really do it. So do it with me. Ready? One, two, three. Ahava. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Sunday service. If we can serve you in any way, please visit our website at citychurchotr.com. If you want to be a part of what God is doing in Cincinnati, you can support us financially. Giving can also be done on our website at citychurchotr.com give.